Specialty Story, session number 185. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians about their specialty. And as always, this week is no different. I am going to speak with Dr. Anna Hurst, a medical geneticist. She's going to talk about her journey from pediatrician to medical geneticist and what that entails. What are some myths and misconceptions around medical genetics, what she loves about her job, what she doesn't like about her job, and so much more. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Hurst first became interested in medical genetics. So I have loved genetics just as a concept, even in high school, but I remember growing up on a farm and working with different animals, even like a litter of puppies that we had that had, um, some had brown coats and some had yellow coats and just thinking how interesting it was to see variety and difference in animals. Um, So I first thought about being a veterinarian, but as I learned more about human embryology, just became fascinated with the idea of of how a a person is developed from a single cell. And so I um, started working in college in a fruit fly lab and (laughs) kind of realized that fruit flies were not my um, preferred career line of choice (laughs) and thought it would be great to follow um, humans and took a really interesting class called genetics and human affairs, where we talked about different genetic conditions and how it impacted people and what it meant to have a genetic condition for someone's healthcare, but also for some of their psychosocial needs. So I actually got very interested in the field of genetic counseling and did a master's degree in genetic counseling and loved it, loved working with families But from there, I I got interested in the idea of making a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go to medical school to work more with medical management and kind of thinking about after you have a genetic diagnosis, how do you help best take care of someone? It's it's very interesting that you... very much so, very, very similar to a lot of students. It's like, oh, the, the science really intrigued you. And it sounds like you weren't sold on on a medical path or becoming a physician for a while until you got to that point. Uh, and then you're like, okay, I, I need to go this next step and, and actually be a physician so I can I can help in a different way or do more. Uh, is that, is that, did I hear that correctly? Absolutely. So um, I have a reputation for being the doctor who's scared of blood. I <laughs> don't I don't really even know how I made it through medical school, just kind of sheer determination, um, but don't really like um, procedures or surgeries, things like that. But I just love being able to talk with my patients, kind of experience their journeys with them, and to be able to kind of use their backgrounds and values and the things that are important to them to help them make a diagnosis and then kind of go from there with how that impacts their overall global health. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even if we're drawing blood in the clinic, I, I sometimes find a, a nice reason to like step aside and leave the room <laughs> until the blood draws over. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So surgical rotation was probably a little iffy for you in medical school. That was school. the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 
What is the biggest myth or myth, misconception about medical genetics that, that you see medical students or residents have? Or, or even oh, other think, physicians, practicing physicians. Yeah, I think the fact that, you know, we are medical doctors, we see patients. I have a, a busy clinic. I'm also seeing patients in the, the inpatient setting for hospital consults. Um, I think even my own family thinks I sit in a laboratory and pipette things, which <laughs> definitely isn't um, isn't on my day-to-day career. Um, I think maybe another misconception about genetics is that it's inaccessible, um, where, you know, we sometimes hear that genetic testing is so expensive or I can't access that for my patients. And sometimes it does require working with insurance companies and, and trying to you know, find different labs that offer certain tests, but really we, we are able to order genetic testing for a lot of people that is able to give them clear answers for their health. Yeah. Interesting. Now, before we hit record, you, you talked about this cool little undiagnosed kind of clinic that you all have set up. Talk, talk about that for a minute, because that sounds super interesting, especially for someone listening who is interested in, in that Sherlock Holmes I talk about all the time, the Sherlock Holmes part of being a doctor. Yeah, so I'm at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and we have an undiagnosed disease program that is sponsored by our hospital, uh, but then also sees patients as part of a a clinic model. There are other undiagnosed disease programs, um, especially one through the NIH that's pretty well known, but our program is focused locally, and the idea is kind of helping our um, referral base of physicians in the area with complex patients. So we will see a patient, um, we'll actually receive their records first and determine if they might benefit from an evaluation, but then we can meet them in the clinic, go through a really thorough record review, have them meet with people from our team, but then also we can present their case to a team of consultants from the university system who have expertise in GI or POM or even pathology and kind of come together as a team to discuss what the next steps might be for that patient. And we were so successful in the local area that we've actually started to get referrals from the region and really even all over the nation of people who want to come for maybe a second opinion or just a different approach to their condition. Interesting. That's, that sounds very intriguing of, of really digging in and trying to figure out what's going on and not just taking care of diabetes and high blood pressure and all this other kind of normal, normal day-to-day life of, of many physicians. So right. for, for those students who, who want that intrigue and questions and all that fun, fun stuff, it's very interesting. Talk about, you, you talked as a medical geneticist, you do see patients, which I think is a, a very common misconception out there that medical geneticists, well, number one, aren't physicians, but, but yeah. when you do understand they are physicians that you do see patients, what is, what does your clinic look like? So I mostly practice with pediatric patients and I say, I see kids who have anything different about how they learn grow or develop. And so that might be children that are born with a a birth difference, maybe a difference with how their heart formed or a a brain malformation. And we can um, see them to try to determine, is there a genetic cause of that? And is it something that might have other health implications for the future where we need to be proactive and think about um, getting them kind of more anticipatory guidance and management going forward to keep them healthy? But then we also see children with developmental delay. I think that's probably one of the most common reasons why people come to us. 
or kids who have differences with their body size, maybe small head size or large head size or tall stature or short stature, Um, really any type of variability that might be indicative of a genetic condition could warrant evaluation. What does that look like when when patients are coming to you, are they finding you on their own? Are they being referred by their their primary care physician? How do, how do they find you? It depends. We definitely have a lot of pediatricians who refer to us because they they recognize that something about a child's development might be outside the, the normal spectrum. But we also have families who self-refer because there might be a condition that runs in the family and they want to discuss if someone else is at risk for having that condition. And then we also see patients for follow-up. Maybe they already have a genetic diagnosis, but they want to make sure that they're on top of management guidelines and doing everything they need to to stay healthy. Interesting. So a little bit of everything. What what does a typical day look like for you? It depends. And I think that's one of the things I really like about my job is it really varies every day. Um, I have clinic about two to three half days a week. And in those Times I'm seeing about four or five patients in a half day. And other days of the week, I participate in research. And my research is geared towards helping people access genetic testing, specifically whole genome sequencing. So this morning, we were seeing probably five or six different families in the clinic to enroll them in genome sequencing studies. And so even though it's research, it feels like another clinic day because I'm seeing patients with undiagnosed diseases and trying to get them access to testing that could, could help get them a diagnosis. And also, I'm working with our trainees. I work with our residency program and have a um, group of students who are medical doctors, but they are training in medical genetics from a variety of different paths. And we work together to see hospital consults. We could get called kind of any any day or night um, from a family where maybe they have a genetic condition and are having an acute illness that needs to be managed. Or if there's a, a child who's born in the NICU who has a birth difference, we could go over and evaluate them. Then Other days, I'm um, working on different um, manuscripts or writing up rare disease papers. Um, I work with a um, medical journal and so get to read and edit manuscripts. Every day just kind of looks a little different, which is enjoyable. Yeah. Talk about, you mentioned whole genome sequencing. With with genome sequencing becoming faster, cheaper, more available to more people, how how far away are we from everyone getting full genome sequencing at birth, just so we know? So it's hard to think about when that might be for everybody as part of kind of routine medical care. Mm. I think for people who have a medical phenotype, we're getting very close to that. We actually have a study that we're working on right now for whole genome sequencing for babies in the NICU. And as part of that, we can perform rapid genome sequencing where within a week, we're able to look at the whole genome. Um, That actually is one thing I've been working on today. Also, in between seeing patients, we had a rapid genome where the data was available and I get to help look at my patient's data. So I was able to see a baby in the NICU, get them referred to a, a study for genome sequencing. And then when the data was in the computer, I could look at it and start to look through genetic variants and say, does this apply to my patient or not? 
And seeing that child in the hospital and seeing their genetic data simultaneously is really rewarding. When when you're looking at genetic sequencing, the the far majority of people listening to this probably don't know what that looks like, um, but they may know what looking at like NMR spectroscopy looks like, right? With yeah. little <laughs> spikes at different places. Like, is that how you're looking at sequencing, or do we have a robust enough data set and and software now that it's interpreting all the data for you and just letting you read what it interprets? Yeah, so we're really fortunate to work with a great team of bioinformatics specialists and computer scientists who can take those little spikes of sequencing and turn it into something that that even a clinician like me could understand. <laughs> so we are able to actually get a kind of like a list of variants where we can kind of divide those out by which ones are maybe brand new in the patient and not seen in a parent if we're looking at the parent's DNA simultaneously. Or we can say, what does my patient have two copies of that each parent has one if we're looking for a recessive condition? And the computer programs can actually rank those by which genetic variants are more likely to be causative of a disease or not. Have they been seen in patients in the literature? And we have these software programs that link up publications and we can kind of quickly look at at large data sets and say, has this variant ever been seen in the, the human population that has been sequenced to mm-hmm. date? And so even with those, we still have, you know, gosh, sometimes even several hundred variants to look through, mm-hmm. but it'll kind of be like a almost like a click through software where we can look at one at a time and say, oh, I like this or I don't like this for mm-hmm. a diagnosis for my patient. And then we can kind of use what the computer has filtered down to take our human eyes and really think about if it applies or not. Yeah. Very interesting. Maybe I am wrong, but it sounds like potentially it's a specialty that doesn't require a lot of overnight, on-call, come back into the hospital in the middle of the night type work. Is that true? Very rarely. So we do serve as the um, on-call service for our patients with inborn errors in metabolism. And so those are a lot of enzyme deficiencies. People kind of traditionally think of the things that would come back on a newborn screen. Mm -hmm. So some of these conditions are present in the newborn period and require a special diet, and special monitoring, especially when somebody has a time of illness, things like fever or vomiting. And so when those patients get acutely ill, we tell their parents to call us right away and we can figure out if they need to come to the hospital for closer follow-up or not. Mm -hmm. So usually the nights and weekend calls that we get are from those families or even from outside emergency rooms. If one of our patients comes to an emergency room and the physician there isn't familiar with their condition, they might call us for an opinion on how to best proceed. But usually those are the the more urgent cases that we have. We kind of lump those into the the metabolism side of genetics. There's mm-hmm. also things like general genetics, and those are thought of as, as other types of syndromes. And so sometimes for general genetics, we might have an urgent call um, for you know a baby that might have a life-limiting condition, uh, maybe a skeletal dysplasia or something like trisomy 18 or trisomy 13. And they would like us to, to see the family and the, and the baby right away after birth. And so we, we might come in nights and weekends to see patients with those types of conditions. Mm, makes sense. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? Absolutely. Yes. I think that's one of the good things about the uh, field is that we definitely have a good work-life balance and it's, it's able, you're able to kind of design the, the type of 
work and focus that that fits with your life. What does residency look like? Because I, I think maybe there's a lot of confusion around medical genetics as a residency because it, it's it's not a primary residency, is it? It's a little confusing and definitely understand where the confusion comes in because there's different paths to be a medical geneticist. And technically it is a standalone residency, Mm. but you have to do something else first. So it's kind of like a second residency. Um, For the most direct path, people can do one year of primary care training, whether that's internal medicine, peds, family medicine, and then do two years of genetics and that's considered like a categorical genetics focus time. But mm-hmm. most people are usually doing an, a full residency first in something like internal medicine, family, or pediatrics, mm-hmm. and then going to the two years of categorical genetics. Or we now have these combined programs right out of medical school where people can do four years of combined training in you know, internal medicine and genetics or peds and genetics. And then there's also a a different training path where somebody who has already completed an OBGYN residency can do a combined program in maternal fetal medicine and genetics. And that's um, an extra four years after the primary OB training. So I think with all those different pathways, it can be a little overwhelming. But um, I think if somebody's interested in this, kind of see what what path makes the most sense for you and talk to somebody who works at a program who can Mm -hmm. give you the best advice on what what path is best for your interest. Do you think that that most people are completing internal medicine, pediatrics, whatever path it is potentially to get to medical genetics? Do you think they're completing those first because they don't know about medical genetics? And then during their normal residency training, they go, oh, there's this whole other thing out there. And that, now that interests me. Um, versus if there was more exposure in medical school, more people would potentially go and do a, a one-year internship and then go straight into to genetics? Yeah, I think you're right, because we have seen more people coming into genetics with more exposure in medical school, especially when some of the combined programs became consolidated to four years. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people who maybe just don't have a geneticist at their home institution or don't have medical geneticists that are lecturing in medical school. So they might not realize what a geneticist does on a day-to-day basis and not see that it's something that that could interest them until they're in residency and maybe consulting genetics and then realizing what types of of you know patient care we provide. Yeah. Interesting. Do you f- from a, a program director standpoint or associate program director um uh or assistant assistant or associate? Yeah associate. And then this summer, I'm actually transitioning to the program director. All right. Full on program (laughs) director. Um, What does, what, what do you look for in someone applying to a, a medical genetics uh, residency? What are you looking for? It's great if somebody has spent time with geneticists, whether that's in clinic, on rotations, or just had an experience where they know what they're getting into. Um, I think that's definitely important. But I think somebody who would thrive in this position is somebody who is just constantly curious, always wanting to learn, because we get humbled all the time in genetics. There's so much that science just doesn't know yet. So somebody has to be comfortable saying to a patient, I don't know, but I want to find out. And somebody with that type of, of curiosity is 
you know, really somebody who's geared to be a good geneticist. And we also see people who like everything. They, they might not have been able to pick a specialty because everything they do is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that's one good thing about medical genetics is we think about every organ system. We get to think about people of all ages. We think about entire families. And so somebody with that kind of zest for learning mm-hmm. is really going to thrive in a program. Yeah. What is the residency path look like the, the, the actual training? Is it mostly outpatient? Is it mostly inpatient? What does that look like? It's a mixture of both. Um, there definitely are general months where people are in the clinic and then also consult months staffing the, the inpatient calls that come in. We also have some laboratory time where you can spend time in a clinical molecular biochemical or cytogenetics lab and see how, like what happens to a patient sample once you order it and what happens in those labs. There's kind of like that mysterious black box of you send a test and then you get a result back. But (laughs) knowing what happens in between is really important for the trainee to understand, even if they're not the ones performing the test. Is it really that important? Like, I don't know how email gets from point A to point B. It just works. (laughs) True. (laughs) I think the biggest thing is knowing the limitations. If you know how a test works, then you know what it won't pick up on. And I think people think like, oh, I'll just send the genetics test and not realizing that there are so many different ways genetic testing can be performed. And if you don't choose the right method, you might miss something that could be really important for making a diagnosis. Yeah. So you still have to understand the question you're asking why you're asking it and, and how to send a test. Right. It's all very important. Um, what is, uh, we, we talked about the training path a little bit, what, what residency looks like from a, from a program director standpoint. I, I love when I, I get to talk to program directors because there's, there's just uh, the same with medical school admissions. There seems to be just more and more anxiety around getting into medical school, more and more anxiety around getting into residency with just astronomical numbers of applications now going out to, to residencies. And I, I talked to one program director recently who, who ran into a student who applied to every single, I think it was a gen surge, every single oh. gen surge program in the country. And I was just like, Oh my Lord, like number one, that's a lot of writing. Uh, that's a lot of, uh, money, et cetera. Uh, so from a, from a program director standpoint, you talked about what you're looking for in terms of uh, in terms of the exposure that a student may have. When the application comes across your desk, what is something that stands out as as maybe a negative thing on an application? That's a good question. Um, gosh, it varies for for different applications. Um, I think it maybe the negative is kind of a lack of exposure. Mm. Um, or somebody who maybe doesn't seem to understand what um, what the role of a clinical geneticist is. Um, sometimes I've seen applications where people are very focused on lab side and research and maybe haven't spent time with patients. Um, and so sometimes with those applications, I worry that people might not know what they're getting into. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. There's makes. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Yes. At least unlike <laughs> medical school, you're not paying to go to residency. You're getting paid, but there's still, you don't want to make the wrong, the wrong misstep. How does that work? So I'm interested to know, and, and not a lot of people understand how residency funding typically works, right? With, with Medicare, mm-hmm. um, kind of CMS 
paying for a lot of residency spots and and the majority of uh, students coming out of medical school having like a cap on how many years of postgraduate training you can do. How does that work if if medical genetics is technically a separate residency that people typically do on top of their their regular residency? Yeah, you bring up a really good point. Um, so we work really closely with our institution's graduate medical medical education office looking at how many spots are we allocated and what does that look like on a rolling basis, especially with some of our combined programs. So for people in peds and genetics, on any given year of their training, part of their training is paid by peds, part by genetics. So we might have you know partial spots that are available at any time. So we have to be really careful thinking years ahead about what does our funding cycle look like and how many will we have in a program at a given time. Um, right now we have seven residents in our program, mm. and some of those are categorical where they finished another residency and are just doing genetics. And then we have um, residents in the peds combined, the internal medicine combined, and the maternal fetal medicine combined. So we're thinking about you know all these program branches simultaneously. Okay. And so we... Um, we have to sometimes look for outside funding sources like our um, hospital has been gracious about offering additional spots as well. If it's a program that they feel gives benefit to the hospital and we fortunately have been able to demonstrate that, you know, that having our genetics training pathway has been good overall for, for the students and for the hospital system and for the patients. Yeah. Very interesting. A little behind the scenes that not a lot of people <laughs> think about, but uh, there's always challenges with things. Yeah, it's a very in-demand field. And so also the hospital is trying to hire geneticists. And we say it's wow. hard to hire more geneticists if we're not training more. That's true. Yeah, got to be out there. What, uh, for, for someone who loves to subspecialize and subspecialize and really get down and, and be the one person who specializes in that one thing, are there those types of opportunities in medical genetics? Oh, absolutely. And I think if if anything, it's it's kind of primed for that because you can specialize down to the the gene that you're most interested in. So I have a, a lot of colleagues who have taken a special interest in one particular syndrome. Maybe they saw a patient and there weren't a lot of resources or information out there. So they helped start a foundation and they're now the medical director for um, a specific syndromes patient advocacy group. And so there are so many opportunities to specialize. Um, if, you know, if, if there are certain fellowships people are interested in, there are laboratory fellowships, there are biochemical fellowships. If people want to do extra training to maybe run a state newborn screening program, and you can even say you want to specialize in neurogenetics or cardiac genetics or cancer genetics. There's kind of infinite possibilities of if there's something that interests you, you can make that a special focus of your career. Wow. How far away do you think we are from understanding the full genome and how genes interact with each other? I think we are probably a long way away from understanding all of that information, but every, you know, it seems like every um, week there are new publications that come out that constantly add to the knowledge that we have. So we're, we're continually learning more, but I think we have a long way to go, especially for understanding non-coding regions and kind of epigenetics, not just how our mm -hmm. DNA is spelled, but how is it turned on and turned off at different points of development. And I think all those questions are really fascinating and, mean that, you know, we're, 
we've, we've got a long way to go. So there's a lot of job security for people out there who are <laughs> interested in answering those questions. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like, were you bitten by a mosquito at 53 weeks of life or 54 weeks of life? That makes a difference. It's like, it's so crazy how genes work. It's really interesting. Yeah. We see so much variability, even in the same family. You know, there might be a genetic condition that runs in the family and affects two siblings in completely different ways. Mm -hmm. And you have to think, well, we're a combination of of all these other 22,000 genes that we have. Is that the factor or is it something else? And, and having those conversations with families is really rewarding, too, when you get to try to you know, explain to a family the science of, of maybe what they've experienced for, their, for generations in their family. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. What do you wish the, the future primary care doc, whether they're uh, OBGYN, pediatrics, internal medicine, what do you wish they knew about medical genetics and, and medical geneticists about what you're doing day in and day out to help help you and help your patients and, and their patients? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is to you know refer early. If there is a, a question that comes up that a family has about genetic contribution to disease and how that could be helpful for their healthcare, feel free to reach out to us. Um, I think a, a lot of geneticists are very open to phone calls from outside physicians just to kind of chat about uh, if it's warranted to refer a patient or not. Um, but you know, now that testing is so accessible, we we are able to do a lot more now than we even were five or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. because cost used to be a barrier, but now we have a lot of options of labs that work with insurance. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing too would just be setting expectations for patients, um, especially about why they're being referred. We have a lot of patients who come to us after referral from their doctor, but they maybe don't quite understand, you know, why they're there. Or they say, "Well, this this condition doesn't run in my family, so we didn't think it was genetic." And um, just maybe kind of explaining that, you know, why somebody might see a geneticist or why you're referring them in the first place could be helpful to to help alleviate some of the family's anxiety. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into medical genetics? Um, I don't know if I would have had a way of knowing this sooner, but I think the the increasing realm of treatment is so exciting. I don't think I fully appreciated just how much um, the treatment landscape was going to explode when I got mm. into medical genetics. Um, even thinking in the last 10 years, there are so many new uh, gene therapies and different um, medication options for things like spinal muscular atrophy and Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and things that are you know fairly um, commonly encountered by a medical geneticist. And yeah. now some of these new therapies are completely revolutionizing how we take care of patients. And um, I think that that area is so exciting and has expanded in ways that I never, never saw as, as being this relevant immediately. Yeah. So Zolgensma for spinal muscular atrophy is, mm-hmm. is famous for, <laughs> I think, being the most expensive medication ever at, at about a two plus million dollar price point. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Like as a medical geneticist, we go, we have treatments, you can't afford it. Oh, it's so, it's so hard. Um, you know, fortunately with a lot of these, these medications, the companies are willing to work with families and work with insurance and there are patient assistant programs. Um, so with not just that medication, but others, um, we have been able to access them for our patients. I understand it's such a complicated issue where, where companies have spent 
you know, decades of research and development. Um, but it does feel really hard when you see the price tag um, to, to try to talk to a family about that and making sure that everything is in line with their insurance. And yeah. um, some of those conversations, I think, are some of the hardest with families. But, you know, we fortunately have a team of social workers and um, representatives who can help navigate the paperwork that's needed to, to actually get access for patients. Yeah, very interesting. What do you like the most about being a medical geneticist? I think the variety is always so exciting. Um, I think the the range of conditions that we get to see and knowing that every day is different, whether it's you know seeing babies with birth differences in the NICU to working with patients with skeletal dysplasias or even adult patients, um, there's just such a, a you know a wide spectrum of conditions that we're able to see, and um, you get to think about every every organ system and, and kind of all those rare things that you learn about medical school aren't really that rare when mm. you see them regularly. Yeah. What do you like the least? Um, I think sometimes trying to access treatments that aren't quite available yet. Um, you know, when you may make a rare diagnosis and you read about um, some interesting therapies that are being tried in, you know, a case series and the drug might only be available in Europe. Mm. Um, times like that are really hard because we, you feel like you're so close to having an option for, for a, a treatment for a family. Um, but if you just can't get to it quite yet, it, it feels like it's not quite in time to help yeah. the patient who's right there in front of you. And I think that you know, there's definitely this promise that in the next five or 10 years, we're going to have a lot of options, but families don't have that long to wait. And I think that can sometimes be the, the most disappointing. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a medical geneticist? Absolutely. It is um, so rewarding. And I, I can't imagine any other specialty being nearly as much fun as this. Any last words of wisdom for a student listening to this now thinking about medical genetics as a career? I think reach out to to people in your area who maybe work as medical geneticists, which is such a small field that people really welcome student contact. Um, the American College of Medical Genetics even has a summer scholar program for people that are interested in medical genetics. Um, you can you know, find a member of the ACMG online and send emails or reach out. People are really open to sharing information about their their career paths and, and trying to get people interested and engaged. So um, you know, reach out. All right, there you have it. Again, Dr. Anna Hurst, medical geneticist. If you are looking for some more information about medical genetics, go to acmg.net. That's the American College of Medical Genetics to find out some more information. If you enjoyed this episode today, don't forget to share it with your friends, classmates, advisors, whoever you think would benefit from this episode. And don't forget to follow the Specialty Stories podcast in your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.